Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, and in this episode of the podcast, we are going to talk about Unchained, which is my chainmail hack that I'm turning into a sword and sorcery RPG, essentially. Uh, for those who have been with the podcast for a while, you're probably know what I'm talking about. If you're new here, basically, um, I started this podcast using with the idea of using chainmail as the combat system for OD&D, Original Dungeons & Dragons, which is suggested. And many people have done this, but I wanted to really tweak it. And I found that as I did it, um, I needed to make a lot of changes. And I'm eventually going to turn that into its own little RPG, I think. But more importantly, when I was started doing all this, I realized that I really like Chainmail in general as a system. And I think that if you're going for a more uh, roleplay style game where you don't need a lot of rules besides the combat rules, then Chainmail itself can just be a great base for a game. So that's what I'm creating here is a sword and sorcery game using... Chainmail as my basically inspiration. I mean, I'm making changes, obviously. It's not exactly Chainmail, but I'm using the combat systems and such to create, uh, you know, create a game. Now, so I've got some submissions where people are calling in with their uh, characters that they're going to play. And what we're going to do is I'm going to run a, a solo session for each of the players, kind of establishing their character in the world. And then we're going to hopefully do some sessions where they overlap and we can have people playing together and see how the game works. So first we're going to start off with the character submissions, then I'm going to actually switch gears a tiny bit and do a recap of an OD&D with Chainmail game that I'm a player in. I did one of these uh, maybe like four or five podcasts back. I'm going to catch you guys up on that. We're probably in the the almost the end of the campaign, so this will be a good little ride. And then we've got a few more call-ins from uh, Jason and Taylor at the end. This first one is from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Bodar. The farm is where Bodar grew up. Some would say he's uncivilized or simple. He would probably say he's not cityfied. Broad shouldered, freckled, curly red hair, awkward around women. He wants to see the world. How better to do that? than to join the army. Off on campaign to see new lands, meet new people, and not have to muck out the stables. Undvik was born in the cold and unforgiving north. Son of a fisherman and a washerwoman, and brother to five others, he was bound to a life of poverty and servitude. One day, his family's humble hut is attacked by bandits, but they are saved by a wandering knight of the local liege, as they have nothing to offer as a reward, the knight takes Undvik as his pay to serve as his squire. Undvik isn't tall or particularly strong, but what he lacks in pure physique, he makes up in smarts and looks. Incredibly perceptive and nimble, Undvik is a born schemer. After gaining the trust of his liege by disrupting a scheme to murder him, he gained the position of spymaster. A short-lived title, as he was almost immediately framed for sleeping with a married noblewoman and was faced with a simple choice, disappear or die. Although he now lives in the shadows, he still has a couple of trustworthy contacts around and he works to be able to go back home and have his revenge on the ones who wronged him, even though he knows it won't bring his old job back. What is a man without his honor after all? Thanks. That was the story of Undrik by Ricardo. This one is really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing where a clever hero versus one of brute strength uh, fits into a sword and sorcery world. I'm thinking pretty well, actually. Hey, Daniel. My, uh, this is uh, Josh um, Graveslug on Audio Dungeon Discord. 
And this is my character, Jor, uh, J-O-R. Uh, Jor was born into a remote whaling community, though he was not yet seasoned at the trade before being exiled, following the deaths of several men on an ill-fated hunt. Uh, he took up the sword, traveling with caravans before the allure of the fighting pits across the lands proved too strong. Uh, though not quite imposing, standing just over under six feet tall, uh, he has managed to cultivate the magnificent views of a supple leopard. Uh, his most pressing concern is the weight of his purse and the heft of his flagon. Uh, somewhere in his mind lurks the desire for more. I didn't know if it was like supposed to lean the free fighter or the like slave pit fighter, but that can be adjusted pretty easily, I think. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Jor sounds pretty awesome. Uh, it can be whatever you like. It's your backstory. Whatever you think uh, works for your character works totally fine for me. I think one thing that's going to be fun about this is that each person's story of their, you know, the backstory and also the goals and motivations of their own characters are what's going to drive this forward. I don't have any real plan. It's all going to be on you guys. Hi, Daniel. My name is Anton. This is a character submission for the soldier scenario in your playtest. Rondo is a wiry, pasty-looking man of middling years. His scruffy clothes have a large number of self-made trinkets and charms buckled to them. He is a former miner who took responsibility for tending to the mine spirits with the duty of keeping them on favourable terms. When the mine closed, he took it upon himself to find the spirits a new home. He is sure the perfect dungeon is out there for this purpose. Rondo's manner is serious and distant, seemingly sometimes in communion with unseen presences. Thanks. Oh, I like this a lot. This is very different um, than the other submissions, which I'm loving. All these are so different. And it really uh, tends to, uh, to build into a bit of mystery, which could be really cool, especially when and if the heroes meet and uh, join forces. Oh, or... Meet on rival sides, I suppose. All right, well, it looks like we've got a pretty diverse group here. This is pretty cool. If anybody else is interesting, interested, I should say, uh, in submitting, uh, go for it. You know, I just want to get, you know, the one-minute message. Tell me the backstory of your hero. Uh, and we're going to run some solo adventures. I'm going to run them for each of the, the different players. And then eventually, hopefully, we will overlap if people want to continue so um, I'm probably going to start after the new year, to be honest. At this point, it's getting closer to the holidays, and I got really <laughs> dropped a bunch of work on me. So um, for anybody who's submitted already, if you haven't already, I think some of you have, reach out to me on the Audio Dungeon Discord. I'm Daniel Norton, Bandits Keep, um, so that we can be in contact there, and I will send you a uh, kind of a playtest copy of the rules uh, so you can start to kind of look at them and get a feel for it and have any questions or whatever. Uh, and then we'll get you uh, individually set up for some adventures. And hopefully by mid-January, we'll have some reports going on. Okay, so we're getting close to the end of this OD&D campaign. So I thought, I think we've had like three sessions since the last time I talked about this. So I'll go through a little bit what's been happening. And um, I'll try to talk a little bit about mechanical stuff like I did last time. And, you know, we'll see where this goes. So we had just finished the ambush of the, I guess you would call them like the second in command. We had, if we had, so there's like a... Just the backstory, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to the other one, is that there's basically this like count who has fallen ill, and his uh, kind of advisor has kind of taken rule, and that advisor is basically evil. And there was a captain under him, and under the captain was this other guy that was like the leader of. They're basically like the the roving like uh, 
guard, but they're more or less mercenaries and bandits and kind of scummy. So we had killed the captain by tricking him uh, early on. And then now we, we brought this guy out. We pretended like we were working for him and we brought him around the back. He was trying to have us kill, kill these monks who we realized were good and we weren't going to do that. So we essentially set up an ambush for him and his men and uh, rode down with my orcs, which we had recruited because we had beaten some orcs and kind of shown martial uh, superiority. So they joined us. And um, between the, the two heroes, which are the other two characters and my character, who's a cleric, uh, we were able to take him out pretty easily. He had like, I can't remember how many, 10 men or something. So then we sent our, we had our orcs hide and we said, meet us at, you know, we gave him a spot to meet us at, um, at a certain, you know, tomorrow night or whatever. And then we went back towards the town to report that he had been ambushed by orcs and basically killed. And on the way, we met a couple of goblins who were, um, it was clear they were going to try to ambush us, but there was only two goblins and there was no way. I mean, we saw them ahead of time because they were trying to hide and they failed. So we kind of called out to them and, and hired them essentially to be the road good. We said, stay here where you are, spying on people, but don't ambush anybody. We'll give you this gold. Spy for us. So they agreed to that. And we went to town and we dropped off the body of the the uh, the guy, you know, and well, you know, it was terrible. He got attacked by orcs, whatever, whatever, stay inside because orcs are around. And then we basically went and partied and, you know, celebrated with the uh, with the people having destroyed, you know, or whatever. Did we party with them? No, we just we didn't party because we killed anybody. We just partied. Well, okay, let's be, let's face it; they were happy he was dead. But we just bought everybody drinks and stuff, and you know, to, to basically under the guise that oh, we commiserate that they're you know he's dead. So then we ended up the next morning. We we headed south towards where there was a large encampment of or- orcs. These orcs were basically the orcs that were kind of bullying the orcs that we took over. Um, because we decided that we were going to do the same thing. We we're going to try to uh, take them out in combat, you know, some of them, and then uh, recruit them to our forces. Because we know that this, if we're going to have to go into this castle, that we're going to need some forces. We can't just go there with three people because they've got like a hundred men and like crossbowers and everything else. So we headed down south and we met this old guy who was a retired adventurer. We stayed at his place, uh, conversed with him, told him our stories. He told us some of his. And in the end, he actually helped us out. He gave us a potion. It was a potion of heroism or something. And because we told him we were going to go beat those orcs or take, you know, take them out. And he told us kind of where they have a guard post set up with about 20 men. And we headed there and we challenged, we, we just showed up. We went right down the street, you know, right in the open. And we, when they jumped out, we said, hey, we want to fight your leader. And this orc came out and he was big. And we decided this would be a good opportunity to do man-to-man combat. So in OD&D with Chainmail, there's three kinds of combat which I'm assuming that you kind of have an idea of some of this, but if this is your first time listening, essentially you've got three kinds of combat. You've got troop combat, which is basically when you're fighting large amounts of people, uh, you're, you kind of are broken down into three categories, light, heavy, or armored, based on like your armor and your, your weapons. So it's kind of abstracted, and it's great for quick dice rolling, you know, fighting 30 people at once, because it, it goes real fast. You just throw handfuls of D6s. Then there's fantasy combat, which is used for, you know, high-level monsters and stuff like that. And then there's man-to-man. And in man-to-man combat, you use the only combat that we use hit points. And what you do is you there's a chart that compares the weapon you're using to the armor that they're wearing. You also compare your weapon lengths, and that ha- that determines who goes first and, like, if they get extra moves and stuff. So, effectively, our elf was going to... Because the elf is... Uh, 
had a magic sword, so we figured best person to fight. So our elf was going to fight the uh, the the orc leader, and they faced off in man to man. I think they the orc was wearing chainmail, and the elf was wearing chainmail, and the orc had like a I think actually <laughs> the orc had like a flail, which is actually better than a sword against chainmail. So even though she had a magic sword, yeah, it wasn't ideal. So, but anyways, the the fight commenced and. In the end, um, while our, our hero did lose, like, maybe, I don't know, a quarter of their hit points, they basically slayed the orc. So we were like, yeah, we're going to, you know, we said, you know, join us now, and we won't, you know, we're clearly superior to you, and you should join our forces. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's a good idea if you can be the actual leader of the orcs. Because <laughs> it turns out this was just the leader of that that little guard post. So they sent for the actual leader, <laughs> The actual leader was this like massive orc that was six hit die, and it was like, and of course our hero is wounded already, and so you've got this massive six hit die monster to fight. So let me just say it was down to the wire. It was back and forth, and, and I think the last round our hero had um, one hit point left, but luckily she went first because her weapon was shorter, and uh, and she slayed the orc because she almost certainly would have died otherwise. So barely standing, we the all the orcs, you know, cheer and celebrate the most powerful, you know, uh, warrior. And we went back to their um, their encampment. And I'm a cleric, so I cast the cure spell. Cure spell. And the way we have it in this is that it will cure hit points. It cures all of them. However, once you cast a spell upon somebody, they basically go into a coma for 24 hours. So we cast a spell on them on the, the fighter, um, and then, you know, she basically had to lay back and just be essentially comatose while she, her wounds healed, and then we partied with the orcs. <laughs> and we actually partied for a couple of days because we wanted to get make sure everybody was healed and got everything kind of... Uh, some of it was more flavorful than mechanical, but we wanted to make sure that, like, everything was in place. And we were making a plan because we were trying to figure out uh, what to do. You know, we know we wanted to go to this castle, but we're like, well, we can't just show up with 100 orcs, which is basically what we had now. Um, because they'd probably still kill us, <laughs> you know, so, and just, we don't want to destroy the castle. We want to basically come out of this as heroes. So we thought, you know what, we're going to, uh, figure out what we can do. So we, we said, let's just go up there and, and do a little, uh, legwork and spying. So we started heading north again and we encountered randomly a, um, a merchant who was, uh, pulling along five carts of, uh, of, with barrels of wine and stuff that were going to go to the castle. And we were like, oh man, you know what? If these want, this wine would be useful for us when we get back in town to, you know, whatever. And we could use the merchant wagons as a, as a disguise. So I used my charm, charm ring, my ring of human control. And we got the guy to sell it to us relatively cheap because he wanted like a ridiculous amount for it. And we didn't have that much gold. So we basically gave him what we had, which I think was actually a fair price anyways. And he walked away and we took the wagons and the whole nine yards. And then we went back up to... Uh, the village where we had, you know, set the the kind of the evil uh, second in command guy to rest, and the village was empty. And we did some exploration. And it seemed like it they did left like in a rush. Didn't look like there was a fight, but it looked like people left food on tables and stuff like that. So we were like, hmm, okay. So then we left the wagons there for now. We went to go check with our uh, goblins to see if they knew anything. And sure enough, the entire town had gone to the castle. So we're thinking, oh great. So now we're like, okay, well, something's going on funky. So we decided that we were going to go to the castle. I can't remember how it happened. I think we had a vision or a dream or something. 
No, it must have been a vision. We, we, I think we, we like suddenly heard, like after we talked to the goblins, we went back to the town. We were trying to figure out what was going on. And we basically got like a, like a summons from uh, the demon wolf, who was kind of the, the main bad guy that we've been fighting. And they were like, um, come to the castle unarmed uh, or we're going to kill all these people. Um, and, you know, whatever. So we're like, all right, sure, no problem. We'll be there tomorrow. So then we're like, well, we're certainly not going to just go unarmed. What can we do? So we went down and we made a plan. We got the retired adventurer to help us. He disguised himself as a merchant. We hid our weapons on his wagon um, so that he could basically go to the castle ahead of us. And we were going to show up with no weapons, of course. And then we got our orcs to position themselves um, so that we said after sunset, we're going to uh, open the gate. And when we do that, you should raid and basically take out as many, you know, as many soldiers as you can. So that's kind of our plan. We showed up at the gate they immediately took us prisoner. Uh, let's see what happened then. Then we, we, we they brought us, basically brought us down into a dungeon where we were down. And we, we ended up talking to other prisoners who were from the town and some other stuff. And basically, we were waiting because we couldn't really get out. We tried to like a bend bars thing and we weren't strong enough. So we we're basically stuck down there. And we we're like, well, they'll call for us eventually. And then luckily, we got a um, somebody came down to feed the other prisoners. And when they did, I was able to get their attention and use my ring. Uh, on them because they didn't strip us right then they just brought us right down into the thing so i used my ring of human control which then got them to let us out um and once we were out we basically took their clothes like we took like their sloppy clothes because it was like you know they're the kind they were like the people that were giving the food down there were the kind of people nobody looks at normally so we thought they'd be a good disguise so we stuck them in the cells we released the other prisoners, but we said, don't leave because you'll just get slaughtered. Wait here, you know, but obviously if you hear word that we're dead or whatever, then make for yourself. Otherwise, stay here and, and we'll get you out. Let's see. That's kind of where we left one. Then we came back and I'm sure I'm missing stuff, but you're getting the gist of it. So then we went up. We kind of went to where the wagons were. We charmed. I used my ring of charm. I charmed a... Uh, the guy in the stables to like go take a break. And then we went and got our weapons out. Um, then we were like, well, we're going to need control of the, the the guard tower. So we took one of the barrels of wine and we brought it up to the guard tower. Not the guard tower, but like the the place the, over the gate, the gatehouse basically. And uh, we went up there with wine. And this was the big one because it was like there was like six guys up there or something. And, I, and if they had made their saving throw, we would have been bummed. So I use my charm again. This ring of human control is really powerful. So I charm them, uh, and basically I told them, uh, "You're, you know, the uh, the Salazar has, has told us that uh, at sunset you're to open these gates and leave them open to let in their his special forces. Make sure that you don't close the gate no matter what happens." You know, I kind of made it sound something realistic because it's a charm. You can't just like do this. I mean, you know. So I did that, and then we st- and then I of course dim said there probably be, there might be another saving throw for them to close the gate once this whole thing starts if they can realize that it's a bad move but so that's fine so we went down we got our weapons we like kind of had them hidden and we went back down into where the the dungeon was because we knew that below that was where this like uh, something they were calling like the the well of a thousand torments was which is kind of where we figured the demon would be and so we went down into the well or the, into the dungeon, rather, where the well was, and we encountered um, a room that was, like, complete and total pitch darkness, like a, like a magical darkness. So I used my lantern to, like, reflect it off my holy symbol, 
And I was able to like kind of break the darkness a little bit with the holiness of it. So I kind of knew it was evil. So once I did that, um, we heard like the sound of horses coming and the, the darkness opened up and there was this like terrible, like a uh, skeletal unicorn that was like black and just like, uh, it was like basically scary and evil. And I was like, you know, we're like, oh crap. So I said, uh, I held up my holy symbol and I was like, you know, I, I'm not going to kill you. I, I feel pity for you for uh, the evil corruption that's come upon such a, you know, a creature of law or whatever. And then I cast the bless spell, which of course doesn't at all do anything except give bonuses to who you cast it on. But I said, you know, my intention here is to bless the unicorn, hoping to uh, give it the, the strength that it can kind of break this, whatever's holding it the way it is, assuming that's what it was, because we kind of figured that's what it was. And, uh, yeah, uh, it worked. There, there was, I believe there was some dice rolling, but in any case, the unicorn was transformed back into its uh, normal self, you know, white and not skeletal, but it was all beat up. So um, we've had to this point, we've had a ring, a sword rather, it's one of the first things we picked up, that had on it two wishes. So we wished that the unicorn should be fully healed because we were like, this unicorn's all beat up, and if it tries to leave now, it's going to get killed by all the archers and stuff here. So we wished to heal the unicorn. And then once we did that, we... Um, we we, do? we wished to heal the unicorn, and then once we did that, we asked the unicorn, you know, because we said, can, do you think you can get out of here now by yourself? It was a winged unicorn, by the way. Um, and it said, oh yeah, I can definitely get out. And then we said, well, if, you know, obviously you're not obligated, but as a favor to us, could you go and find the wizard with whom we had uh, helped earlier, in the, you know, like uh, a few days earlier, maybe a week earlier, and uh, tell him of our peril and that we're facing the demon, you know, hoping that the wizard would come and help us. That's kind of our plan, but, you know, we didn't really have a guarantee. Uh, the unicorn said that it wouldn't. It actually also broke off a piece of its horn. Uh, and said that it could be used as a weapon against the demon. So the dwarf fighter took that, um, and we headed down deeper. And when we got into the final part, you know, the, the whole scene was sad and noises and scary, and it was really cool. And then we heard the voice of the demon, and it, like, stepped up and, like, pulled itself up out of this pit, and it was, like, gigantic and had tusks and all kinds of craziness. But it had around it, like, whipping around it, almost like a shield, Whereas these faces that were screaming in torment, um, in you know, we're like, well, these are obviously souls that have been trapped with this thing. And I said, I think we should use our final wish to wish those souls to be free. Because even if we die here, at least we can have saved the souls or whatever. And also, of course, Meta, I was hoping that that was going to weaken the demon if we did that. So um, we did it, and it worked. <laughs> you know, we took a second, thought about how she would make the wish, and then made the wish, and it worked. The souls all disappeared. The demon, you know, lost its, what was effectively a shield. Uh, it stood up to fight us, and that's basically where we stopped it because we only had, like, 10 more minutes that we could play, and we knew this was going to be a big fight. So uh, as it stands right now, we're probably going to all die <laughs> because this demon looks really, really tough, and we're only three, uh, three adventurers, and we've used up our most powerful stuff already. However... We hopefully the wizard might come to help us, or we might be able to run. I actually had cast a protection from evil on myself, so if I don't want to have to do this, but worst case scenario, if the two fighters go down, I'll probably retreat because the demon actually can't hit me because of the protection from evil. Oh, I guess I forgot to say too, we went into this old. We found like in this like totally terrible place. We like broke through this uh, 
this door and found like a temple that hadn't been destroyed. And we actually prayed at the temple and left a gift of food and we all got a bless. So we've got some bonuses going into this. We have a magic sword. We have a bless. We have that unicorn uh, horn fragment, you know, and hopefully uh, by removing the tormented souls, this demon will be weaker. So the next time uh, I get one of these reports, I guess I'll let you know if we survived or not. But it was really super fun. And I'm, I'm loving the system. I mean, we, they, we've used fantasy combat uh, earlier against the demon wolf in the form of a wolf. We used um, troop combat a lot, including a fight with, you know, like 30, 40 uh, people. Uh, they were goblins or whatever. And we've used man-to-man combat a couple times. And it's all worked out really well. It's all been very thematic and all really worked. So I'm really, really happy with the way the chainmail is working with OD&D. And uh, I'll let you know when we have our next session. Okay, so this call is from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. He's talking about, um, he had mentioned that he's running a game that the players won't have like character sheets or won't know the game they're playing. They're just going to kind of have descriptions and say to the GM what they want to do. And, um, you know, and then it'll be adjudicated basically without them knowing or looking at their character sheets, try to maybe have more immersion or that kind of stuff. Uh, and I had a caller that that talked about how they actually do that quite a bit or have been doing that, which I think is really interesting. And uh, yeah, so it, it is a pretty interesting thing. I don't think, yeah, I don't think Jason's claiming he, I don't think it felt like he was claiming it was anything super new. Um, it probably new to some people though. I've only ever um, experienced something like that when I did, I think I mentioned this, where I did the DCC thing where we had scratch off character sheets. Uh, otherwise, I've never played a game where I didn't know like what my character was or um, you know, skill wise is what they could, what they could do like mechanically in the game. And I definitely think it's a really interesting concept and kind of a fun way to play. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. I really hope you're the new callers at Rob or Ron calls back with some examples and, and talks more about it. Cause I would love to hear his experiences and more of his perspective. But I don't think any of us are claiming this is a new thing. I should clarify that. I mean, Dave Arneson basically ran this way, he, although his players did have character sheets. When you go to, like, bronze scene games or... They, th- these kind of games go back, way, way back. This isn't anything new, and I'm not saying it's anything new, although it's new to some players, definitely. I'll, I'll send you the name of the game I'm using offline, just in case, if you really need to know. Just say... To satisfy your curiosity, it is an older game, by the way. I think the reason we go to older games for this is because your newer players just had never seen some of these games from the '70s, and some of these games are not available. There aren't, well, there aren't legal PDFs of them out there, so people wouldn't have access to them anyway. Okay, well, we'll wrap up here with some calls from Taylor over at the Clerics Wear Ringmail blog, podcast, YouTube channel, etc. <laughs> This is about using uh, the wizard, basically from Chainmail, as a, a class option or how we might use it in the Unchained hack that we're doing as far as the sword and sorcery genre and all that. Morning, Daniel. This is Taylor of Cleric Square Ringmail calling in at 5 a.m. my time because I had an idea that I thought you might like in relevance to your uh, fantasy game. Now, I remember that you mentioned uh, wizards are not particularly sword and sorcery, and I can't remember if you were going to exclude them or not, but thinking about it, they would need, if you were to include them, the same kind of advancement possibility that the hero would. The hero is obvious. You have the, you're a nobody, and you're looting 
towers, followed by the next tier where you have warband, where followed by the next tier where you have stronghold. So that's obvious, but the wizard isn't so much so. But it dawned on me, and forgive me if you'd actually talked about this, my brain isn't working uh, these last couple weeks, but the wizard could hoard magic. What if the number of spells that I can manage is not indicative of a reward as I've leveled up as a wizard, but instead the definition of how wizardly I am? So I'm walking along, I'm a commoner, I have no spells, and I find a spell book, and I, me- I parse through it and I memorize it, and I'm able to cast this one spell. That can be when you become that seer. You don't advance until you've found and mastered another two spells, so you're up to three, and boom, bump into magician. And you make your way, there's an inbuilt push to find more magic. There's an inbuilt push to hoard the magic to get to that point where you have six or seven under your belt. Now, admittedly, this is a very raw idea in that I thought about it 10 minutes ago and called it in instead of thinking more deeply. But that's okay. I think of that as uh, outsourcing creativity. You could incorporate ideas for magic items. Uh, It would naturally kind of flow into a quest progression. How do I get to these esoteric pieces of knowledge and might go into stronghold management because where am I going to store this this information? Where am I going to store my spellbooks and keep them safe from the other wizards who want to level up? Simultaneously, if my tower burns down and I no longer have access to my magic, my power diminish my power diminishes. Interesting juxtaposition, and I think it fits thematically with the way you were treating the hero. Cheers. Happy Christmas. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, Taylor, but uh, maybe it's just great minds think alike. But I was kind of bouncing around a similar kind of idea. Um, but the reason why I didn't move on it any further, so I may have just like tossed it out there in the world or didn't mention it at all, was the fact that what I thought might happen is all of a sudden you would get a player that wanted to play a wizard. And I know that sounds funny, uh, but it comes back to a call that Jason made a while back where it's kind of like, if you put these other things in there, you're moving away from your original concept, right? My original concept was to play a real kind of sword and sorcery, um, you know, Conan-type world. And I think a wizard as a main character there, as a main PC character, as a protagonist, doesn't feel as correct. But that being said, um, I I was thinking, I don't think I said this out loud, that I would make, maybe make an appendix where I would have such a thing, because I do think I want to have the seer be somebody that can be brought in on occasion, just not a main character per se. And I really like where you're going with it. It's pretty much what I was thinking. But the thing you said at the end about the magic items is actually what I, as I was going and you were talking about Stronghold, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, maybe the things would be, and you mentioned spell books, right? Maybe the actual items are required to cast the spells, right? So instead of thinking it in more of a Vancian term, which I mean, even in Vancian, right? They 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 have the, the 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 wizards are storing their uh, their scrolls and stuff and trying to keep them away, and you, you know. But anyways, um, you would do it so that when you want to cast this gust of wind spell or whatever spell you have, um, you know, maybe there would be an item that you use to do it. So you're you're collecting these items, as you said, and you have to put them somewhere. I really like that idea too, because that does give you the big quests. And maybe one of the maybe some spells are in books, but there are these like I was just watching the Mummy. Um, the 1999 one, um, and they had this like a, 
the book where they had to read the the spell to basically dispel the mummy. And, you know, it was this book that was, like, really thick and it had, like, golden, you know, the pages were literally gold with, like, the spells, uh, you know, carved into them. And I could totally see that being something that you're trying to seek out as a wizard and carry. And then, of course, if you're going to go on an adventure uh, out into explore more, you might not want to carry all your stuff because you could very well lose it, as, as you said. Um, and just having those things around you makes you more powerful in general. So you'll be a wizard as long as you kind of have the magic that, that controls them. So I like that a lot. And, and maybe that will be something that will be uh, incorporated in like an appendix. A really, really good idea. Like I said, I kind of was thinking that when I saw those numbers, I thought, oh, maybe that's what assigns them. If they have this many spells, that's what makes them. Since this whole game is basically the reverse of what we normally think of. <laughs> Instead of you get things when you earn, it's you get things and then you earn or you earn by getting or however you want to say it. So, yeah, I think uh, I think we're on the same page there as far as how the wizard might work. But I probably will incorporate it more as like a, a secondary or an extra option. Uh, as opposed to being the, you know, just something you can choose to be um, as a player. I'll, it'll The writing of the book will probably lean towards, you know, recommending that that's not the way you go if you want to have like a real like sword and sorcery um, type. But then again, I don't know, maybe people can point out sword and sorcery uh, stories where the hero was, in fact, some kind of a wizard questing for items. I mean, that very well could be a thing. And, you know, some of these items could be things like magic swords, right? Like a magic sword that gives you the ability to turn invisible or, you know, that kind of thing. So it could definitely be um, incorporated for sure. So thanks for calling. As always, awesome. Talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, if anybody wants to be part of this uh, unchained chainmail uh, <laughs> playtest, go ahead and call in with a uh, background of your character. I mean, think sword and sorcery. It can be just about anything. You've got some really diverse uh, characters already, but if you've got an idea, go ahead and call in. Keep it down to a minute. And also uh, hook up with me on the Audio Dungeon Discord so that I can get you uh, some of the mechanics and stuff. And we'll we'll go for it. And uh, hopefully I will be playing in earnest after the first of the year. And if I don't talk to you before then, hope everybody has a great holiday season. And I will talk to you soon.